Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Well, Wednesday morning, all was right in the world. The Jets won, the Leafs lost. We all had a bit more pep in our step, and today <laughs> it is the polar opposite. I stayed up, and I stayed up to watch two periods. wasn't gonna wasn't planning on it, but I fell asleep mid evening. So then I woke up a couple hours after a two hour nap. And the 4K broadcast attracted you. I turned like on the game to a flame. I turned on the game and saw that it was available in 4K because Sportsnet and TSN both have 4K channels, but there's almost never anything on them. Unless because they don't broadcast a whole lot of stuff in 4K. But the game was in 4K, and two periods later, 11.30 p.m., like, I guess I should really go to bed here. Yeah, well, I stayed up to the very end. The Jets on the wrong side of a 5-2 score in Vegas. We'll play the quote-unquote highlights in just a few minutes for you here. Spoiler alert, the Jets lost last night. But, Loren, you actually, I, on your I way, you, a, you thought they'd alert. won. So I woke up, uh, you know, I don't know what time it was, three, and I, you know, have all these alerts that come across the screen on my phone, and I looked at the, you know, checking the time, and uh, former Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman, I used to have alerts set for him, you know, for the city of Winnipeg, and so it said something about Connor Hellebeck being the storm shield of Vegas kind of thing, like blocking all the shots. And I was like, oh, cool. And I get up. I think thought that thought they won. And I spent the next hour and a half thinking that. And oh, then no. just as I was, I have actually <laughs> was in the car listening to the overnight show, The Shift on CJOB. And he said, oh, I hope you're all okay. Good morning, Winnipeg. Hope you're all okay doing with that loss. And I was like, what? And I had to pull over <laughs> and check his score. I, 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 I had gone to bed. We were winning. We were winning when I went to bed. And not that we were winning. So you think, shouldn't have gone to bed. So, so I just, I fell asleep. Woke up to that alert, thought all was right in the world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's great. And I had a twice as long drive this morning because south of Ile de Chaine, it's a gong show. It's icy and slippery. And I had two inches of snow in my car and I was miserable. But I was like, well, the Jets won. And then I got that slapped to the face. And then I was like, well, now I just, nothing is good about Friday. Uh, the Jets are coming home with the split. We would have taken that going into the game on I Tuesday. Know, uh, Jets fans all would have taken the split. I said to Richard Cloutier and then anyone else who would listen, I would prefer, like, if we're going to get a split, I would prefer to win game two and come home with the momentum. But I'll take this. I'll take this uh, split and uh, get out of Vegas without uh, any uh, major injuries. Uh, Connor Hellebuck got a cut above his eye last night. He took a puck square to the face mask. Winnipegger, Mark Stone, captain of the Knights, was all sorts of dangerous last night. Two goals for Stone last night. So, uh, yeah, sets up, a, obviously, a huge game tomorrow afternoon at Canada Life Centre. Game three, uh, I think we'll call this one pivotal. Well, you might hear that word quite a bit over the next week or so. Well, why don't we fire it up, producer Jeff Forte? Do you have any music queued up for our sounds of the game? And the puck is dropped, and it's showtime from Las Vegas, Nevada. Flying Petrangelo near side for Eichel on the far side of Tom John. Stopped by Hellebach. Did he keep it out? Yes, he did. What a save. What a save. Diving over post to post by Hellebach. And Winnipeg will win it back toward the line. Pionk up top. Wrist shot through traffic. Deflected in front. They score! Adam Lowry with his third goal of the series. It's a deflection and a power play goal. And Winnipeg opens up the scoring for the second straight game. It's 1-0 for the Jets. And centered out in front. Carlson bouncing puck. Eichel pushed off the puck by Nita Ryder. It's in some skates. A shot. They score. William Carlson. Scores his second of the series, and we're tied at one. 
still loose, back him on the net, grabbed by Amadio. A direct back toward the line, Petrangelo shoots, deflected in front, they score! Jack Eichel gets the redirect. It's two to one, Vegas. Here comes Stenland, far side for Madelina. Back for Stenland, a backhand shot, he scores! Kevin Stenland with the redirect of the backhand! And the fourth one comes through with a huge goal. And we are tied at two with under four minutes remaining in this second period. After dumping the puck in for a line change, center back out in front, right down Main Street, a shot they score. Mark Stone came off the bench. Winnipeg loses the puck battle. Stone's got two quickies in the third. 5-2 Vegas. We're all tied at one, heading to Winnipeg as a pink flamingo finds its way onto the ice surface. The Vegas Golden Knights break through with a huge third period, three unanswered goals, and win this tonight, five to two. When Kevin Stendlin tied it up at two after the Jets had fallen behind, I thought, okay, here we go. The Jets came out and basically did exactly what they did in game one in the first period last night, then Vegas found their legs. So here we are, uh, the Winnipeg Jets, Vegas Golden Knights, series tied at one. Can't wait for tomorrow afternoon. I think the atmosphere is going to be electric in downtown Winnipeg. All right, so we've got the best of Rick, uh, the best of bonus coming up at 7.20. We also have our Friday Jets commentary at 7.55. And we'll talk more about the party in the plaza at 8.35. And then Derek Taylor joins us at 8.50 to talk some more hockey. Also today, Loren, we're going to be talking about the, the question that I think we all want to ask our boss, but none of us really want to go through with it. Can I get a raise? Can I get a raise? And how do you go about asking for one? Because we're talking an awful lot this week about contracts, negotiations, what you think you're worth, your value versus the value your boss puts on you. You have, you know, hundreds more than 100,000 federal workers on strike. They're looking for a new deal that had us chatting off air yesterday about the times you may have or may not have gone in to your boss and said, "Look, like I do great work for my company or business." I need more. I need to be shown more value. And that's a really, I think it's one of the hardest conversations to have. How many times have you thought, I wish I had an agent or someone that could work on my behalf to do these negotiations? Because they can get a little bit personal. They get back and forth. They get awkward at the very least when you're trying to sell yourself to your boss. You can have all the confidence in the world but it doesn't necessarily go the way you want it to. And with 155,000 Canadians on strike right now, collective bargaining, you know, for a lot of people makes sense. It's a group that goes for you and asks for it and tries to get you what would be perceived as a fair deal. I know that it doesn't make sense also in other ways, depending on where you sit. On I've never been in a union, so union I don't equation, know. But it, it you know, it, it, it's someone who's at least doing the ask for you because putting that knock on that door, you already feel sheepish for some reason. Asking for more. You feel like you don't, sorry to bring this up, but like, what are you sorry for? You know, you <laughs> you deserve more, but you're scared if you ask for more that you'll be penalized in some way. I think that's a genuine emotion that people have. And other conversations can come out of that question as well. Much to discuss on that today. And uh, oh, by the way, is it, um, is it Eid? Has the fast broken? It, the fast has broken. Although I was listening to an interview last night about how, where that celebration comes within um, Eid, and I thought I think maybe it's more than just today. It, it will extend throughout the weekend. So for anyone who's seen the end of Ramadan and is able to uh, return to their daily, you know, eating habits, yeah. uh, 
I know it's a lot more than that because it's about your spiritual connection and, and that, but congratulations. I don't know if that's a thing to say. I'd be excited to break fast. Indeed, Eid Mubarak. Also, heads up uh, that uh, we've been hearing in the news about Winnipeg's Emma Hill Capron, who did well, won on Jeopardy, and Emma is going to join Hal Anderson this morning on Connecting Winnipeg. Right now, though, we want to talk about something. It sounds like a typical Hollywood whodunit, except this heist was real. $20 million, $20 million worth of gold and other valuables were stolen from Pearson Airport. Peel police have control of this investigation and at this point have not offered up a lot of information in terms of suspects and whether or not they believe there's a link to organized crime. They also haven't said where this cargo came from, where it was going, or the airline that brought it into Pearson. We do know a plane came into the airport early Monday night. A container with $20 million worth of gold and other valuables was unloaded and moved from the airport to a holding facility. The Greater Toronto Airports Authority issued a statement saying this facility is leased to a third party party which is outside of its prime security line and that thieves access the public side of this warehouse. They did not enter the airport and passengers and staff were never at risk. Peel police are calling this an isolated incident. Therefore, for the traveling public that are concerned about coming and flying out, they should have no concern. We do not consider this a public safety matter. Operations are running smoothly. Tina Trajani, Global News. Of course, uh, you start thinking about movies right away, but uh, very quickly after that, you, you hope that there's no gunfire involved, no explosions anything like that it sounds as though it was sort of they did it kind of sneakily if that if we can say that without knowing very much because otherwise we would have had reports of you know people shot that sort of thing so uh, the details are are yet to come forward I, I can't really wait is it wrong for me to say no. I can't wait to hear I, how they did this? I want to know more. It's no different than when you do watch a movie or you hear about a story like this. You think, does this actually happen in real life? And then it did happen in real life. And when I heard that last night, I not only was like, wow, that's crazy. It reminded me of a gold heist that took place right here in Winnipeg some 60 years ago. And I didn't know about it at all until someone said, hey, you should do a story on it back when I was a global reporter. So here it is, the story of the Flying Bandit. It is the stuff of legends, and still, the story of the Flying Bandit is not that well known. He got the nickname the Flying Bandit because when he started his bank robbing career, uh, as far as anyone knows, uh, he flew to do all of his bank robberies. So he would fly from Winnipeg to Toronto, rob a bank, fly right back to Winnipeg. Called the Flying Bandit for how he did it, but the Gentleman Bandit, because people liked him. You know, they, they loved him, and it was the time of sticking it to the man, so robbing large banks and stealing gold from the mint was... Uh, sticking it to the man. Was sticking it to the man. His name was Ken Leishman, and in 1966, the Manitoba salesman made a name for himself as the mastermind behind the largest gold heist in Canadian history. Nearly $400,000 in gold, more than $3 million in today's dollars. He knew when the gold arrived and came up with an elaborate plan. He had, I think, was four accomplices. They doctored uh, uh, letterhead and forms, and they made homemade uniforms that looked like Air Canada uniforms and stole a van and drove right onto the tarmac, and they took the gold off the plane from Red Lake, loaded it up into their van, and off they drove. The one thing about Ken Leishman is he was a mastermind. He was, he was a genius in many ways. He just had horrible luck. And the horrible luck here was that just probably, I guess it was two or three days later, 
the blizzard of 1966 kicked in. So that ruined a lot of their escape plans. The robber was sent back to prison, but never stopped plotting. He escaped twice. He escaped from Headingley uh, with 10 other people. And uh, he escaped from the Bond Street Jail uh, while awaiting for the, uh, for the gold heist, uh, uh, the gold heist charges. He used a, a piece of cloth and a piece of wire. And he somehow managed to open this, you know, 100-year-old door. And they even had him back after he was captured <laughs> show them how to show it. them how he did it. After serving a short sentence, he eventually flew the coop for good. He retired to Red Lake, Ontario and uh, became part of the Chamber of Commerce there. And he also did medevac flights. And it was on a medevac flight in 1979 that uh, the plane went down in the bush and uh, he and I believe it was the patient and the nurse that was aboard were all killed. Uh, but for Ken, they never did find his body. And it kind of added to a little bit of that, that mystery that you know, if you are a, a celebrated uh, folk hero bank robber, it's a great way to go. Why a Hollywood movie uh, hasn't been done about Ken Leishman, I don't know. I had no idea about that. I thought that was really, and it's crazy when I, this word shouldn't be used in connection with this because people, you know, when you rob a bank or when you rob other things, there's, it's not, not a victimless crime. But I, my first reaction when I heard, it, I was like, that sounds cool, Ken. Like, which is, which is how you feel when you watch heist so films, where was- you kind of like, Huh. You're pretty smart. Clever. Did, did I gather correctly then this guy was sort of a folk hero? Yes, because the, as as so Christian Cassidy is the voice in that story. He does a great job doing uh blogs on just little little charms of our neighborhood buildings and all the rest. And he's the one that introduced me to the flying bandit, but he was known as the gentleman bandit as well because he was kind when he was stealing, I guess, and also people liked Please give me all your gold. Well, it's like Robin Hood. <laughs> it was kind of like Robin Hood, you know? It, uh the idea of helping other people not that he handed it out but it made i think people felt like who cares you're just taking gold from a bank and so it was worth three million dollars ten years ago it would be worth about four to four and a half million dollars now the average price when you did this story of gold was about 1300 us an ounce now it's around 2000 right so so. it's no longer like his his was known as one of the largest gold heists in history of course this toronto story now whatever comes from it yeah we'll learn more but uh You'll be saying the same thing of this Toronto story. Why is a film not made of this? Had no idea about this, Lorraine. Maybe there will be. We want to give away some tickets for the Winnipeg Whiteout Street Party for Monday's game. And it has to do with what we just discussed. If you're just tuning in, there's a $20 million gold iced at Pearson Airport in Toronto. So that has us wondering, what is your favorite heist movie or television show Derek Taylor the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers let's start with you sir I, I well let me turn on your mic sorry buddy. I wanted to say Ocean's 13 because it's really good Ocean's 11 though <laughs> is absolutely the one and it, it's a movie that that made me fall in love with Brad Pitt because he has so many there's so many one lines in the interplay between him and George Clooney in that movie which are just priceless uh, they're trying to get the their 11 together but they've only got 10 so hey i think we got a, a grease man a person who can slip into tight spaces and open stuff for us and, okay he takes him to the chinese acrobat show 
And Clooney's like, well, I don't see what's so impressive. And the guy starts flipping around down a pole. And Clooney's like, we got a grease man. And, and Brad Pitt just goes, we got a grease man. He's got a little grumble in his voice and he's got the dorky smile. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy's hilarious. Yeah. He's so funny. And uh, Clooney gives him the speech right off the beginning at the about how you've been cold decking teen beat cover boys. It's just <laughs> everything about it. <laughs> And then, I mean, when they finally reveal the uh, how they got into the vault and, and took all the money away, genius. I loved every bit of Ocean's Eleven. The costumes, the food, the, everything. Everything. Awesome. Why do this? Because the house always wins. Unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. Been practicing this speech. A little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. That was good. It. I liked it. <laughs> and, just the way Clooney there starts talking before Pitt is finished, you're like, these two are just pulled Magic. perfectly in sync on this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's one a, of my faves. Such a great movie. And the way he's always eating. I love Brad Pitt. Like, he just looks like he's always, like, dripping stuff off and licking eating his Eating or drinking. And, yeah. I think in damn near every scene in yeah, that movie. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Sarah, what about you? I was also going to go with an Oceans movie, but then I thought, let's be a little different. So this one is a... <laughs> lower level heist movie it's kind of more of a comedy but here's a clip of it i'll just get a glass of water please i have to save all my money because i'm here to find my sister she's been taken taken i am very moved by your story order anything you like i'll have a club sandwich and an order of fries two slices of cake do you want any cake no three slices of cake and a diet coke impressive i'm a con artist sisters in arms (laughs) So that is The Hustle with Rebel mm. Wilson and Anne Hathaway. Oh. So they kind of end up teaming up. They meet up with each other and just try to con a bunch of rich men. So. I haven't <laughs> seen that. We were all sitting here like trying to figure yeah, out what, yeah. what we're listening to. It was to. like 2019, I Was believe. it actually yeah. good? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> like, Low-level heist movie, but uh, yeah, it gives you a good laugh. Good cast sure. in that, that's yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Producer Jeff Forte, what about you? I'm just going to play this. There he is. Hey, hey baby. Why well, is he listening to music all the time? He had an accident when he was a kid. He's still got a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out. That's what makes him the best. Oh, yeah, yeah. Aren't you mysterious? Maybe. So it's a movie called Baby Driver. Good pick. Oh, oh yeah. It's awesome. It's uh, Basically, it's about... Uh, this guy, his name is Baby, and he's a getaway driver, and the crew he works for, they rob banks, and they do all this, and he's an amazing driver, but he has hearing issues, so he ends up putting in uh, an iPod and listening to music, and it's cool the way the movie's edited, because it goes along with the movie, like the way the car moves, it's incredible, and uh, Doc, the boss man, who's played by Kevin Spacey, whatever you think about him, Whatever, but uh, there's also Jamie Foxx, John Hamm in it. It's just in, in uh, Kevin Spacey's character, you know, doesn't want to let Baby go. Baby's made his money, but uh, Kevin Spacey wants to bring him back in. And uh, it's just a really, really entertaining movie. The the opening sequence in that with Ansel Elgort walking down the street is incredible filmmaking. I, I'm with you on that 100% 4G. I'm going to have to make a list. Yeah, Baby Driver, watch it for sure. I'm going to have to watch this movie again because I, I got to be honest, when I saw it in theaters, I was so mad. I don't know. I, I hated it. I was, really? Yeah, I was shocked too because it looked so cool and I walked out really just angry. So okay. I need to, wow. I need wow. to watch I'm it again. I'm surprised of that. Yeah, what a, what I was a too. squirrel of emotions in this room right now. <laughs> cool. 
<laughs> uh, Mackling, what about you? What's yours? Well, mine would have been Ocean's Eleven, but I didn't want to be too obvious on that one. That's not a shot, Derek, because no, no, no. it is the natural. It is oh. the best choice. But second mm-hmm. best choice for me is actually a movie that was made in Manitoba back in 2006, 2007. It stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jeff Daniels, and Matthew Good. Oh, sweet. Oh. Now that's the end. Now what happened before that? Once upon a time, I had the perfect life. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt is outstanding in this film. He plays a high school hockey star who suffers a traumatic brain injury in a car crash. And his life is turned upside down. He becomes... He becomes a janitor at a bank as one of his customers. And so he gets targeted by some of his old friends who come back to town and they plan this heist. And he figures out eventually that he's being used. And then he works to uh, to foist or mm. not to foist, but to uh, to uh, interrupt. Uh, foil. Proceed. Foil is the F word I'm looking for. Thank you, Brett. Yeah. To foil said heist. And it's actually a quite, quite a good movie. Isla Fisher also uh, part of that cast. It's it's gripping. And the Manitoba scenes for Manitobans, I, I think, just add to it uh, just a tiny bit. Made um, a lot of it in Hartney, Manitoba. Yeah, that's right. The Lookout is a tremendous film. And I remember they, they announced it on CJOB that they were going to make that movie in Hartney, Manitoba. Oh, interesting. Oh, I think that's it might have been the premiere at the time who, who said, who let the cat out of the bag. So it might have been one of the first, right? Uh, big films. A yeah. $16 million budget, U.S. Yeah, great movie. And Loren, what about you? I don't know if this, you're going to know immediately when I play this, but I'm going to play the song that kind of is featured throughout it. Oh, yes. How? Wow. That was impressive. You know? oh, what is it? Oh, yeah. Thomas Crown Affair. And I, I'm not saying it's my favorite heist movie, but... Well I, done, though. But What's it's so man? well done. Yeah, it's so clever. I don't know how to bring audio down, so I can just shut it off, I think. Because, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, on that day. The, every time I go to a museum, I just look, you look around, yeah. and you're like, how would someone get away with stealing... A Picasso or whatever it is. And so this is an art theft movie, but holy, the thing I always think of is Rene Russo is as sexy as all hell in this that, film. That black couldn't, dress. Oh, oh. Couldn't agree with you more. Class, whenever I'm ha- killing it, like having a day where I'm running a bunch of errands, this song times, sometimes runs in my head. I'm like, Chris Parson is pretty hot in I'm that not movie too. Things. He's all right, but Rene Russo, that redhead. Whew. I need more money. I deserve more money. Have you ever wanted to walk into your boss's office and say just that? Yeah, I think I probably everyone can put up their hand with that kind of question. I don't know. I don't know if I demand it, but I might feel like demanding it. And, you know, with more than 155,000 federal workers on the picket line this week negotiating for a new contract, we've just been wondering how about that ask for more cash? How do you do it? Michael French is the National Director for Robert Half, a professional recruitment agency, and joins us now. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm curious about the how you ask, but before we do that, I'm just wondering what data might show in terms of how often people actually have this conversation with their employer. I think many people think about having it. How many people go through with it on a regular basis? That's a really good point. And so you have to imagine we're coming off of three really, really life-changing years of COVID. Many, many companies avoided having career conversations or raised conversations because maybe had nothing to offer for career progression 
and my goodness, didn't have any money to offer, so he tried to avoid it. And that's probably the worst thing they could have done. Career conversations should happen all the time, and money conversations, you need to have your finger on the pulse of what's happening out there, or you run the risk of losing your best people. And so for a professional working today, it's important to be talking about what you accomplish, the parts that you've worked on, but also where are you from your potential earning perspective? Are you, are you on target? Are you below it? Make sure your boss knows what you're expecting because it's a bit, of a bit of a long path to get there. You can easily get there if you execute on the number of steps, but you don't want to surprise your boss. Say, hey, I'm looking for 25000 or I'm out of here. It's just not going to happen that fast. So, Michael, walk us through this a little bit, because I know, uh, you know, several people over the years who have lamented the fact that they don't make the money they deserve. They know what they should be making, have not asked for it. And the only time their employer steps up is when they get an offer from another company. Help us get a raise without having to threaten to leave. You know, and that's really, really unfortunate. So the first thing I would say is um, be honest with your employer throughout the year. Be talking about money, maybe not every, every, every week when you have your catch-up, but it needs to be on the radar throughout the year of where you are and what you're expecting to earn. Make it easier for your manager. And these are tough conversations. It's really hard to talk about money, but likely your boss talking to, to their boss about it. So... So it continues, but make sure your boss knows sort of what you're looking for so that throughout the year, they can start building the case sort of higher up with what they're going to need to hand out for raises for the year. If you're having a conversation once a year about it, you're never ever going to be on track with where you need to be unless something very significant happens. But throughout the year, we're talking about, you know what, this quarter we accomplished this, um, revenue is up or expenses are down or this project's on track, we're going we're gonna to save time or money. And so, you know, I've also been noticing in the market that I'm not certain I'm fairly paid. Not looking for a massive adjustment right now, but here is what I'm seeing. Keep your, keep your play manager uh, very abreast with what's happening in the market. It's a very hard conversation to have. I would tell you to practice this with your spouse, friend, partner, uh, even your kids. Um, get very good at asking and sharing market details. Many times, um, I know what I'm worth. My boss may not fully realize it. So you got to educate them. So I shouldn't just march into the boss's office and toss chairs aside and say, I demand a raise. I would love to, but I don't think it's going to work. You know, the, the song... Uh, Money, 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 we all want that, but there's a bit of a path to get there. And to get there, you need to make sure you're sort of hitting every target along the way. And even if you sort of have one sort of flop throughout the year, it's not going to ruin it, but you got to make it easier for your boss to say, you know what, we need to raise this person's pay by uh, 10%, not 4%, or, or 3%, not 2%. Make it easier for them to say yes. What do I do when they say no? Because that can happen too quite easily. No, we don't have the money. Sorry, would love to. No. Well, and that's probably what happens most often. So you need to be comfortable with the fact that every time you talk about it, you may not always get a yes, but you get a no most often. So then you talk about, well, what else is there? Can I get an extra week of vacation? And that's something that many bosses have in their back pocket that they, they sometimes can pull out and say, you know what? How about we offer you five extra days, maybe it's in the summer, or maybe it's in the winter holidays, or maybe it's when the kids are off for March break, you can take that week and uh, 
we won't uh, we won't record it. There's that one. There's also a lot of people now are fairly concerned about sort of the force back to the office. And so if you don't have money to, to offer an employee, but you can offer them full flexibility, and I'm not talking sort of work from home or work in the office. I'm talking about when do you want to work? What are the hours you want to work? Does the business match with the scheduling of your life so that we integrate together? It could be you work uh, Saturday mornings for three hours and you finish early on Tuesdays to coach the soccer team. Like, wouldn't that be great? Being able to coach your child's soccer team Tuesday afternoon, but you throw a few hours in Saturday morning. Uh, those sorts of things go a long way. We really enjoyed the flexibility over COVID, but now we're hearing a lot of back to the office. Career development is a big deal, and I know we got to run here, Michael, but I'm hearing you as that needs to be part and parcel to that career development conversation. If you're only talking about it once a year, make sure you're having that discussion three, four times a year if you can, and then the two can sort of go hand in hand. For sure. I would be talking about career development. So personal growth. Are you taking courses? Are you upskilling? Are you taking a skill and getting better at it? Or are you getting new skills? These should be quarterly. Many companies offer support in this area and have ideas of what they would love to see you progress at. So ask your boss, where do I need to grow? And then share with them where you want to grow. We've seen a huge growth in the last couple of years in the DEI space. And many people now who have never worked or had an interest in that are getting more and more educated on what diversity, equity, and inclusion really means. It's a great area to grow into. So, and, and every person could, could, could learn in those certain areas. But there's lots of skills to grow by. Many companies are fully, fully invested in this. But take whatever you can get for, uh, for career growth. Michael French, National Director for Robert Half professional recruitment agency. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. Thanks for having me on. It is Friday just after 7.30, Forte. What does that mean? (laughs) In honor of the smash hit movie film that came out recently. Super Mario Brothers. I need to learn this on the recorder. This is fantastic. Well, you did happy birthday for Toth last week on the recorder. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Has this movie done $700 million? I don't have the box office number off the top of my head, but... I'm uh, sure I read that this time last week. But what a crazy number for a video game movie. It's doing very, very well all around the world. And so that music means, it's, it usually means the couch potatoes assemble. But now that Jeff Braun's on a different shift, uh, it's couch potato-ish assemble. So let me just quickly tell you what's new at the movies this weekend. And then we'll touch base more on some of your favorite heist stories. Three new movies to tell you about, two in theaters, one at home, first at the theater. We'll start with the fifth movie in a franchise that dates back to 1981. It's Evil Dead Rise. What is this? Now commence reading aloud. The Book of the Dead. There isn't much you need to know about the plot. Just like in the previous movies, there's this evil book. If you read from it, bad spirits come say hello and start possessing people. Then gross and violent and awful things happen. It is getting awesome reviews. So if you like gory horror movies, this is what you've been waiting for. Mom? 
money's with the maggots now. Also new in theaters, a movie starring Joaquin Phoenix called Bo is Afraid. And after watching the trailer, I don't honestly know what to think. It looks so weird. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Do you ever wish that she was dead? What? Phoenix plays a paranoid man who's just trying to get home to his mother. Looks wacky, getting decent reviews. And new on Apple TV Plus this weekend, Ana de Armas and Chris Evans star in Ghosted. Evans meets a woman, she ghosts him, so he goes to London to find her. Not creepy at all. Turns out, she's a super spy. You got me kidnapped and tortured all after one day! You're the one who flew to London! It was a romantic gesture! Comic hijinks, adventure, and sexy main stars ensue. And not great reviews on that one. It was 29% last I checked this morning at Rotten Tomatoes. So there you go, a couple of new options on the big screen or something at home. And if none of those appeal to you, perhaps you might want to watch one of the heist movies we're talking about because we're asking you in honor of this $20 million gold heist in Toronto about your favorite heist movies or TV shows. Mackling, what does Don have for us? Okay, I have never heard of this movie uh, project Azorian when the CIA spent upwards of $500 or $500 million, pardon me in 1975 to steal a sunken Soviet submarine in 15,000 feet of water Mm. in the Pacific ocean. The incident is still wrapped in conspiracy theories as to just how successful the operation was officially. It was a failure, but you have to wonder. So this is obviously based on some pieces of a true story. Yeah, that's a, that sounds interesting because I, I can't remember what, where this came up. I think I was talking to my dad and uh, I never even realized like there are, aren't there like dozens of nukes just sitting at the bottom of the ocean and scuttled like submarines? That's why Greg doesn't go in the ocean. It's not the sharks. It's the possibility of those no, nukes. No. That no, actually no. makes it's sense. It's the nuclear-infused... <laughs> The, the shark with nukes on his head. <laughs> he's, like, he's like wearing the nukes. Never mind the lasers. The sharks with lasers. Freaking now laser they're going to have nuclear, nuclear, uh, nuclear weapons. That sounds like that would be true. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say that's not one thing, a thing a journalist should ever say. That sounds like it's true. So I'll just repeat it on air to thousands. But I think that the possibility makes sense. A lot of those heist movies come from some sort of like nugget of truth. Yeah. Right, like it didn't happen exactly like that, but that's the impetus to go beyond for sure the storyline. Several votes for the usual suspects. Oh yeah, Kevin Spacey, one of the best surprise endings ever. Oh yes, yes. What a shocker that was for sure. Spoiler alert. (laughs) To anyone who hasn't seen that, nineteen ninety, and a lot of votes for Point Break. Would you say that was based on true? That's the surfing one with uh, Keanu Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great movie. I'd have to go back and watch it. I do remember feeling like 25 years ago, what a film. Yeah. And I should learn to surf. Exhilarating. Yeah, the (laughs) surfing's cool. Sexy stars. Keanu Reeves lying on his back, shooting a gun into the air as he screams in agony and pains. (laughs) Oh, come on. It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb. It has been a disappointing week for one local organization just simply trying to help others. We're talking about the Wase Healing Center, and it works to give all people, you know, mental, spiritual, emotional, physical support, and in particular, got to start helping residential school survivors and their families. And last night, they posted 
Our sacred lodge site was desecrated today. Our sweat lodge canvases were stolen. Sacred items were stolen, along with expensive power tools. And then the post goes on to say, there was a lot of damage done to our buildings. The person smeared blood on and inside the building. And sadly, human feces was also left at our lodge site. I normally like to bring on this next guest in better circumstances, but Wayne Mason Jr. is the executive director at WASA and has agreed to come on to explain what's going on. How, how are you, Wayne? Uh, good morning, Lauren. Thank you for uh, bringing me on. I just wanted to uh, quickly clarify, I'm the project coordinator. My dad, Wayne Mason Sr., is executive director of WASA Healing Center. I knew I was going to mix up the junior and senior, Wayne. Apologies for that. So, all right, all right. so tell us about this post. What's been happening the last couple of weeks? Well, it's unfortunate that um, somebody or people uh, have uh, come onto our land. We've never experienced this before in the last you know, few years since we've uh, started occupying the land, and we're, we're still developing it, trying to. Um, but, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, somebody had driven onto the land, and we just purchased uh, a lot of material to build a, a shed, a 10 by 20 shed. And unfortunately, a lot of the lumber and, and uh, siding and, and plywood went missing. And uh, so a little bit of damage at that time as well, too, to our to our lodge site. But uh, yesterday was was a, a sad sight to see, a sickening sight, actually, very upsetting to see the amount of damage that was done and, and the things that was uh, somebody was clearly trying to uh, make a, a statement, I guess, or uh, uh, with the with the feces, the blood, and and stealing of the the items inside the the lodge site. So this was more than, in your mind, Wayne, this was more than theft and vandalism. Do you feel that there was a, a component, that, that there's a message here for you and your organization? I, I feel that. I, I truly believe that um, uh, when people normally steal things, they, you know, you, you would notice that there's items go missing and then they're gone. But uh, somebody took the time to jump, dump garbage all over the place, smear blood on the buildings, uh, like I say, the human feces was was what was pretty sickening to to feel. Uh, when you see a lot of the items that, that are taken, uh, that's that's upsetting as well. But when you see that the, somebody took the time to um, drop some feces on the on the lodge site, that's that's a bit more of a personal thing. I think that uh, they're trying to send a message to Wasi Healing Center. But we're uh, uh, you know we we get. We see that we recognize it, but uh, we understand that we have a lot of work. Um, somebody out there is upset, probably with us or or um, just the whole movement. I'm not sure, but uh, we'll continue to keep helping uh, the survivors and their families. We still have a lot of programs and workshops that go on at the at the office area in our ceremony room, and uh, we use the lodge site to to have our sweat lodges and people to come out or sacred fires so we'll continue to do that type of work uh and we'll rebuild we'll uh, we've already had a lot of people on social media and friends reaching out saying hey if you need any help we'll, we'll help to rebuild and they're willing to come forward so you know there's always a blessing in disguise there's always a silver lining so to see the community come together for wasay that's that's a beautiful thing now the the the, the blonde that was smeared is that something that can be cleaned up, or does it do, do those materials just that basically have to be replaced? No, we we could uh, we could uh, clean that up. Um, it's uh, it's the items that were that were taken as well too. Um, that is upsetting to us, but we will uh, we'll do our best. Um, we'll get uh, we'll have some people out there today. We'll be. Uh, 
unfortunately, we'll be having to put up cameras. That's the only thing that we can do. Uh, we're, we're looking at maybe possibly reporting this to the police, being that it's the second time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just unfortunate to, to have to deal with this. We, we've been doing a lot of good work, and uh, it just shows us that we have a lot more work to do. Can I ask why why possibly reporting it to the police, Wayne? Is it just because you? Well, you tell me. Is it why not? Why not go to them? Um, to, to go to them, I think it is just to uh, uh, whoever's out there. If they can hear this, if they see our our post, um, that they know. You know, we're not just going to keep letting it happen. We will have to report it and let it know. And we're hoping that this doesn't escalate to to something mm-hmm. further. So reporting it, I think, is hopefully maybe a deterrent. I don't know if we'll ever, if the person or persons will ever be caught, but uh, it's just to kind of deter them from from possibly coming onto our our lodge site. And just to remind them that this is you're not hurting Wasay, you're hurting the survivors and their families, the people that we're doing this work for. Mm-hmm. So it's to let them know that you know um, if they want to be anonymous or whatever, come to Wasay, come and sit in a ceremony, come come and. Uh, talk to an elder, come and talk to a worker. If there's something that we can do, then let's let's continue to work forward instead of uh, hurting one another. Because the the power tools is one thing. You know, there's the financial loss, there's the vandalism with the blood and feces, which is so right. disturbing, Wayne. But the sacred items are not replaceable, I'm guessing. Can you talk a bit more about that? Because they could maybe return those if even if it was anonymous. Yeah, it, it, those, those types of items are... are um, uh, a lot of times gifted to individuals and to ourselves and and uh, those are those are sacred items and and obviously somebody who who has taken those doesn't realize um the sacredness behind those and and what they mean to wase so uh, a lot of times when sacred items go missing they're they're usually returned and then sometimes they're not um i don't think that people understand what the significance or the meaning of those items are. But um, hopefully, again, if somebody hears this or sees their post, that they make some kind of an effort to get back to a, get back to us. Um, and we don't need to ask any questions. It's, uh, it's just, like I say, a very unfortunate thing that we have to deal with this morning. Wayne Mason, Jr., thank you very much for taking the time to tell us the story that we, this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And uh, it's nice to hear you again, Lauren. We'll have to uh, touch base again uh, on something more positive next time. I promise you we will. That's a guarantee then, Wayne. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Wayne Mason, Jr. with the Wasay Healing Center, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Want to talk about how police chiefs from across this country will be meeting with Canada's premiers today to talk about rising crime in this country and ways to reform the criminal justice system. Yeah, so of course it was Winnipeg's own chief, Danny Smythe, who put out this call for a meeting on crime. He's the head of the Association for Canadian Police Chiefs. And so we're going to get more about that meeting later today and hopefully hear if anything came out of it. But from what we understand from cities, you know, coast to coast, it feels like Winnipeg isn't an island in its struggle with crime. We have random acts of violence, of course, on the streets. We hear more about it on transit buses and subways across Canada. And, of course, our libraries, Greg. That's right. We've discussed at great lengths uh, the violence in Winnipeg City libraries, in particular downtown at the Millennium Library, and the work that's being done to combat that. An investigation by Global's current affairs team is working for the program The New Reality, and it's revealing that this is not just 
a Winnipeg thing. I don't know if Misery loves company in this case or not. Global's Melissa Ridgen joins us now for more. And Loren mentioned it, Melissa. We're seeing it in transit. We're seeing it in libraries. What did you learn, not only about what's going on in Winnipeg, but in compare and contrast what's going on in other cities in libraries in particular? Well, that's just it. I mean, it's it doesn't seem to matter if it's a big city, a small city. Uh, the library violence is escalating pretty much across the board. You know, of course, the worst case scenario happened right here in Winnipeg at the Millennium Library. 28-year-old Tyree Kaye was uh, killed there uh, while using computers, just checking his email, making plans with friends. Killed, stabbed to death. There's four uh, youth who have been charged in connection with that. Uh, that's the the high end of the violence. But librarians across the country that we talk to are reporting increased incidents of harassment, intimidation, assaults. This is just the new norm in libraries. What's to blame? What are you hearing in terms of we I think we have a sense of what's going on socioeconomic situation here in Winnipeg. But what are the libraries saying, the librarians saying in other cities about what they think is to blame for the rise? It's the same thing as what we're seeing here. You know, it's just a reflection of what you're seeing in society. You'd mentioned the increased violence in transit buses as well. People waiting for a bus uh, have to worry about getting attacked. People on the bus worry about getting attacked. And it's just spilled over the same sort of thing into libraries. That's just the new reality of what's happening there. Uh, you know, social services cuts, that's part of the problem. Lack of uh, places for people to go for different community supports. A library is a place everybody can go. It's free. And so it just attracts, you know, people, not necessarily who are just there looking for a book, right? Uh, and libraries are having to really look at how we respond to this. So they have to get a little crafty in terms of Maybe we need social workers here now. Maybe we need uh, mental health and addiction supports in the library. This is not places that we used to think of these things going, but... Winnipeg did add social workers, did it not, to the Millennium Library? So were other cities already doing that, or are those yeah. things they're looking at too? Uh, Edmonton seems to be ahead of the curve on all of this. Uh, they were the first library to have social workers in there. Uh, Toronto also is, has really kind of stepped up and reimagined what their libraries should look like. So there are models that other libraries can look to to see what's working and what's not. What about the security component? You know, there's a lot of was made of adding the wands or adding, having to go through the security medical metal detector. Are other libraries doing that too? And has there been the same kind of response of should we, shouldn't we? Well, that's, yeah. So it is happening, the metal detector things. And it's interesting what we found. You would think that librarians who have shared that they're experiencing a lot of violence on the job would be the first ones to say, we want metal detectors in here. We want these in increased security measures. It's actually split among librarians, pretty much 50-50 down the middle. Mm. Some say, no, a library is for all. It would be offensive to some people to have to go through those security checkpoints to come into the library, whereas other librarians are saying, hey, there's a lot of, not just the staff, but there's a lot of other people here using it uh, and deserve to feel safe as well. Some of them are vulnerable people for example, elderly, children. So it's split kind of right down the middle, like what do we do for uh, to, to keep help keep people safe? And these, these you know, kind of community living rooms uh, almost and hubs that libraries have become, they are just attracting so many more people there for so many different reasons. You've got to start looking at who's coming in and how do you keep everybody safe and able to use the space? So safety aside, you've mentioned the attraction, why people come to libraries as a safe place. Let's assume everyone's safe. Is there a commitment? Is there a sense from you that there is a, a commitment moving forward or that we'll see a commitment moving forward to libraries changing their role in the community because they have been evolving 
maybe unwillingly, are you sensing that this is going to be part of the plan in, in Winnipeg and in other centers to, to make this a, a safe space for everyone and have some resources available to, to maybe get them get them get people the help that they need in other aspects of their life. Yeah. I mean to have those people with complex needs who are going to your library anyways, you can't you don't want to keep them out, but you so you need to find the supports that you can uh, that they would benefit benefit from there, right? So meet them where they are, exactly. so to speak. Exactly. So we have these supports in the community and in other places. Maybe now they need to also exist in the library. I mean, we've got uh, a lot of communities have. Uh, you can go to the library and learn how to cook. You can go to the library and m- use their three D printer. Libraries aren't just about books anymore, right? So it would make sense that it shouldn't just be about librarians working in there. There could be a whole host of other community supports that would be there working, helping people out. So it's not just just, uh, you know, the metal detector and the security guards at the front. That's the end of what we're offering you here to keep you safe. There should be things, I guess, um, that would be uh, helping people in the most vulnerable states who are in those buildings or in those libraries all over the place. And when can we see what you've put together for the new reality? It is on tomorrow uh, on Global News, of course, tomorrow evening. So check your local listings for the time. Melissa Ridgen joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We are looking to get some more details on the train derailment in the area of McPhillips and Logan. And we have uh, Global Skyler Peters on his way out to have a look. And we are looking to get some details from the city as well. So once we have those, we will. Looks like Loren just came running into the room with her hand up. No, I I just wanted to flag because we're working to figure out what happened with the train and how bad the derailment might be, how many cars are involved. And and hazmat crews, of course, are on their way as they would just in case. We don't know if there's an actual situation in terms of anything with the train or if it's more of the derailment and then, of course, the impact on traffic. On traffic, we know people on Notre Dame say they're backed right up due to that derailment. And then, of course, uh, McPhillips and Logan themselves, there's all sorts of traffic situations. So right now, as a traffic story, it's, of course, as we've been hearing uh, um a frustrating situation out there. And if you can do so safely, we'd love to hear what's going on. If you can see anything, be safe, of course, 204-780-6868. I just asked Loren if we've seen any pictures on social media or anything, nothing at all. Not asking you to to do anything untoward, but if you can safely give us an image or share an image with us, something that, that you can see, from where you are, we'd appreciate that, 204-780-6868. And again, the message from police is that both northbound and southbound McPhillips between Logan and Jarvis are shut down. So you will have to use a different route. That's what we know right now. Also, uh, heads up that it is breezy out there, north-northeast wind, 35 to 50 kilometers an hour. So the wind chill minus 9. So kind of a tough morning to be on the picket lines. And our question of the day for Mr. Furness, don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Do you support? Support the Public Service Alliance of Canada's strike in its labor action against the employer, the federal government. And so far at CJOB.com, 67% say no. So cast your vote at CJOB.com. In the meantime, 
in lighter news. Tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock, the Winnipeg Jets and Vegas Golden Knights will face off in Game 3 of the now-tied Western Conference quarterfinal in the Stanley Cup playoffs, i.e. the North American Ice Hockey League Championships. So, of course, with fans, I think really looking for ways to celebrate, not just going to celebrate because it's happening. I think there are people who want to genuinely get out there for all sorts of reasons. So we'll have 6,000 fans expected to gather outdoors around Canada Life Centre for tomorrow's game. 5,000 tickets were gobbled up in minutes for the Winnipeg Whiteout Street Party on Donald Street. And of course, around the corner, you have the Hargrave Street Market is hosting a pregame party four hours before puck job, Greg. That's party in the plaza. And to get the details, we're joined now by Bobby Matola, President Academy Hospitality. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you uh, join us. Before we discuss what's on tap tomorrow and Monday, for those who don't know about the incredible spaces indoors and out at Hargrave Street Market at True North Square, can you take us on a little bit of a radio tour, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of the things I wanted to mention prior to that was I was really excited to hear that uh, weather. Plus six tomorrow is going to be an incredible, it's a perfect atmosphere, perfect environment for what we're doing tomorrow. When you walk into Hargrave Street Market on the main floor, you'll see the big plaza. Uh, we got a 34-inch television that we're going to watch the game on, piped-in sound. we got some programming going on as well with uh, a bunch of things and hockey demos, bands, and DJ Dad. And then when we come inside, you'll have Matola Grocery, which offering a, a, a beautiful chef's lunch all day. And when you go upstairs, we've got 17,000 square feet. We've got Gusto North, which is a sister restaurant of Pizzeria Gusto on Academy Road. We've got Fools and Horses Coffee. We have Miss Browns. We've got the ever-famous Sir from Chef Ed. And then we've got Rose Bar, Yard Burger, and Good Fight Taco. Now, Bobby, I don't want to be critical here. i got to jump in here because I have a 58-inch TV in my family room. You said 34 inches. How big is this TV screen? Feet. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. That's a big difference. <laughs> Perfect. Morning, morning shows aren't, you know, some my finest. No problem, man. I just wanted to make sure we clarified that. Thank you. <laughs> so 1,000 fans in the square, indoors and out. So what's on tap for the party? So we got the Lux Barbecue truck from our friends at uh, Lux Barbecue, Phil Squirry. Uh, we've got a great menu offering from that. We've got the Rose Bar Sea Can open as well. We've got a uh, really cool Piaggio Ape pouring Aperol spritzes on tap outside. We have the Lake of the Woods Bowler trailer. And upstairs, we've got uh, a really good complement of food. And we think that uh, a thousand people outside watching the game on the 34-foot television um, in, uh, tomorrow is going to be just a, an electric, electric place to be. When you talk about the mood of, of people at this time of year, like spring is always that time you just, you're jonesing to get outside, but then you throw in the playoffs, you throw in the fact we haven't been able to come together in a while. What are you just hearing from the community around you and when it comes to that desire to get together, I think? Well, you could, I could talk from a, about it personally as well. Like I, I think, you know, we've all had sort of a com, common enemy over the last little bit, and our focus has been relatively negative, and it's been relatively survival instinct-esque. And when you have something like this, it, as you said in the, leading up to it, 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 it galvanized people in a positive way. So you could be a so-so hockey fan or a big hockey fan, but the opportunity to get down with 20,000 people, uh, downtown environment, showcase what's going on in our city, and be a part of something that is all positive is really, we haven't done that in years, right? 
So it really is an important thing just from a personal perspective, from a city perspective, and of course, a hockey perspective, in my opinion. Bobby, I've been down uh, to that location several times since the beginning of the pandemic. And of course, the pandemic really, you know, shut down. Like my first time in Hargrave Street Market was Valentine's Day 2020. So essentially, you know, 33 days removed from when restaurants were were, were starting to shut down and we had all those restrictions with regard to being out in public. So could this be your your coming out party three years later uh, for True North Square, for Hargrave Street Market, and then sort of that reintroduction to downtown that so many have been discussing? Yeah, you know, you're not wrong, actually. The, The way that we're looking at it is it's almost like a first date with the city of Winnipeg. This plan for Hargrave Street Market and True North Square was developed seven years ago, worked on paper for two. And what we're talking about that's happening tomorrow and in the, in, in, in the next couple of weeks is what we were talking about in boardrooms in the basement of Pizzeria Gusto. So this is the first time we've ever had the opportunity to do what it was supposed to do. And from that perspective, it's like all the Christmas mornings all wrapped up into one. <laughs> And uh, everyone is excited. People are high-fiving through the hallways. You know, we've got a a huge, huge uh, uh, um, group of people that live in the building, that work in the building, TDS, MNP, the residences at 225 Carleton. It's just, it's it's electric. it's, It's why you came downtown. It's why you put your office here. It's why you chose to live down here. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for Saturday. So what time does the party start tomorrow? Well, we got to make sure Greg Mackling's on site. So we got to talk about that, Greg. Got to make sure that we're there for the play-by-play. I um, already asked Greg if I could get on his special list, Bobby, and it was a no. I'm actually on his list of do not let her enter the party. It was like the opposite reaction. I was curious as to what that picture was circulating around. <laughs> oh, you got the email this yeah. morning? Perfect. Yeah, I did. I did. Good. Yeah, put it up. They're up on the, sign, on the signs already. I'm going to take them down now that I know. Yeah, it's like a picture of my face or something? Like I can't walk into the party? Do not let her enter? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll be there uh, bright and early. What time do you want me there, Bobby? Let's meet at 10. Okay, I'll meet at we'll, 10. And the gates open at 11, and we'll, we'll, we'll hang out with DJ Dad, and we'll have a blast all day. All right. Bobby, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Sounds like a good time. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. President of Academy Hospitality, Bobby Matola, joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about the party in the plaza. First, first real Big Jets party at, in True North Square, so it should be a good time. Yeah, I'm honored. I'm excited to be a part of this, actually. I was just going to say, there's lots of people who might also have never been to True North Square. Oh, uh, and big time. Even myself, the first time I went there, I thought, aha, like this is, you know, this is what we're talking about. Having lived in different downtowns, there's already lots of special things about that the downtown right now, but that meeting point... You can't all gather at Port of Jermaine like no. every time you want to, right? You need to, that square is is going to be vital. And you think about the uh, coolest, best um, food court you've ever been to. That's what that's what's inside Hargrave Market. It's a fantastic spot. It's It really is. It's an inspiring space to be in just when you look up and, and you look at the shape of the buildings. Uh, I've taken some just really cool pictures in there just and just even walking through on a just a normal day when they've got those little fountains that are doing their little musical dance and the colors changing it's fun so well done and of course the statue the best statue ever dale, dale Howard 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 oh the best
Is Mackling McGarry McNabb. We're talking hockey with Derek Taylor in just a moment, but first we go to Global Skylar Peters, who is now at the scene of that train derailment at McPhillips and uh, Logan. Skylar, what are you seeing? Yeah, I just got here a couple of minutes ago, guys, and uh, we are kept quite a far way away from the scene, but it does look like it's kind of right on top of that underpass at McPhillips. You can see a couple of black cars, uh, the kinds that typically carry crude oil kind of skewed on the tracks we're uh, we're a good 500 600 meters away from there and uh, police won't let us in any further uh, members of the media or the public so um, hard to say what for sure is going on doesn't look like anything has been spilled though um, just looking at crews looking at the it looks like two cars affected and um, you know not moving with a, a total sense of urgency so I, I would say that uh, at this point it looks like a couple of cars tanker cars have jumped the tracks they're still upright um, but you can tell they're definitely not uh, you know going north south that's for sure other trains uh, on the other tracks are still moving too guys so uh, you know it looks like it might be a, a bit of a scene today as they try to get things back on track but uh, looks like we've certainly avoided a worst case scenario here when you got your way out there um, when you're heading out there traffic has been a concern did you have any issues traffic wise Skylar? Yeah, just the route I took, Loren, you know, it wasn't too bad, but I'm looking at McPhillips right now. Everybody, uh, you know, trying to come southbound and, and that would have gone under this underpass. Uh, that line does stretch uh, as far as I could really see. So at least, uh, you know, four or five city blocks and police are out here directing traffic. But uh, once you get to the McPhillips Station Casino, you're going to be forced to uh, take a left onto Jarvis, I believe this is. Uh, we've got our Global News morning crews on the other side. I imagine it's probably the same story. No pedestrian traffic. Uh, allowed in here either and, and they did just move us back a further uh, couple hundred meters uh, just before I jumped on with you guys uh, just as a precaution uh, as well this hazmat uh, truck is on scene with the WFPS it's not one we see very often um, along with about a dozen other uh, WFPS trucks and uh, of course lots of police out here trying to direct traffic as well so nothing on the roadway itself at all Skyler this is all contained to the rail yards above the overpass yeah, and actually the train uh, on the north side of the tracks just moved out of the way, so I've got the clearest look I can see yet, uh, Greg. Just give me two seconds here. and It looks like it might, yeah, I would say two or one, maybe three, um, but uh, just a handful of cars here. And, you know, it looks like a train derailment, like these things are uh, not on the tracks. They're kind of facing each other, uh, kind of accordion all up here, but it has been contained to the tracks right above McPhillips. So uh, I'd imagine you can't count on this road being open for uh, quite some time, but uh, yeah, it doesn't look like anything's been spilled and uh, hopefully we've avoided a complete disaster here today. Global Skyler Peters joining us live on the scene at McPhillips and Logan in the area. Thank you very much, Skyler. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And we've got about 90 seconds, Mackling, to talk some hockey. <laughs> well, you said it uh, earlier, uh, Derek Taylor, I know you like the sports betting. So leaving any scenario with which there's money on the line, blood or sport, when you uh, walk away even, there are times that you have to just take that and run with it. When you think of the bad things that can happen in Vegas, you could fall asleep on a mattress on top of the roof and get sunstroke and your friends don't know where you are. <laughs> Right. Leaving even is a pretty great result. You know, Vegas is the top team in the in the conference and you go there and you steal one. These series, they say in a best of seven doesn't start till a team wins a road game. The Jets won a road game. They now have the advantage coming back home. Does Vegas have the momentum to, or oh. does momentum carry over on the tra- plane trip uh, north for either of these teams? I'm the anti-momentum guy, but Vegas looked really good in period two and three of that game. They turned around the first four periods in, in 40 minutes there. They looked really good. Looking forward to tomorrow.
Derek Taylor, thank you very Hot much. Hot takes with DT in 60 seconds or less. It's <laughs> right. a new segment. Hot takes. I am quick. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Before we say hello to our regular guest at this time on Fridays, Loren, we got to head back out to get the latest on what's going on with that derailment. Yeah, so we just had a listener right now. We've gotten all sorts of traffic tips, but a listener just texted to say, if you the top from the top of the parkade at McPhillips Casino, he they can see the whole thing. They're seeing five tankers off the rails. We, are, of course, are talking about a train derailment at McPhillips and Logan, and that's where we find our Marissa Turton. Marissa, can you tell us what you're seeing? Yeah, so I am just off Logan in between Hillock and where the bridge is, and you can see a barricade that has collapsed. I spoke here with some of the police officers who say that they were up there and saw about six to a dozen cars that have been affected up there. There's a huge portion actually at Hillock Avenue to the bridge where they say you can't even get towards uh, because there is risk of explosion, just speaking with the fire department here and the police. Uh, so there's about, there's about in between six and 12 cars, according to police officers. I understand we're all just getting there. So we're learning things as we go here, Marissa. Did anyone know if what was in the cars, if they were loaded or empty? No, um, there is risk of explosion, but we have not heard yet what exactly could be in any of these cars. Yet. All right, Global's Marissa Turton, thank you very much for this. And once again, according to police, uh, they, they say that... Oh, hang on a second, sorry, something just popped up on my screen. Both northbound and southbound McPhillips between Logan and Jarvis. Hang on, Lauren. <laughs> it's currently shut down. Please use a different route, and uh, that will get you more updates throughout. What, what else do you have, Lauren? I just wanted to add there's emergency crews also at Notre Dame by Arlington, according to one of our listeners. And as Skylar Peters previously reported to us, uh, the hazmat crews are on scene, of course, as they would be in this kind of situation, often for, for preventative reasons. But if they have to react, they need to be there to react to what might come there. And, of course, it's presented a traffic situation, as you said, Brett. So that's that would probably be what people are going to be pained about right now. But we'll wait and see if there's further developments. All right, Mackling, in the meantime, you're out. Okay, Mackling's taking care of something. Looks like it's just me and you, Gabby. So, Greg usually does the introduction. I'm actually, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Greg and Loren just left the room, so <laughs> it's just me and you, Gabby. It's, you know what? McGarry and Marchand. Let's let's have a talk here, Brett McGarry. <laughs> Sorry, so you don't get your usual uh, CKND intro without because that's Mackling's shtick. So it's I don't really screw okay. It up. I'm not offended. It's <laughs> I don't even think I deserve that intro to be honest with oh, you. Oh come so. on! So happy Friday though. Always so hard on yourself. Okay, so one of the we what we like to do with Gabrielle, in case you've never heard the gab with Gabby, is we like to review some of the week's fun topics, and one of the topics was related to. Morgan Barron from the Winnipeg Jets, who Oof. took that skate to the face, Oof. and somehow the, the the goalie skate from Vegas got underneath his visor and sliced him above his eye and to the side of his eye. Like yesterday, just painful. He to looked watch. like he looked like an extra on The Walking Dead yesterday. Seventy five stitches. I yeah. couldn't believe it. I watched that video so many times, and I kept saying to myself, "Don't watch that video again." Yeah, it's so it's disturbing to think about getting a skate to your face. It's crazy, but uh, it's a weird injury. He was back out on the ice. So we're talking weird injuries and you've got one involving your dad, I think. Yeah, my dad ran over my foot. I think I was about 10 years old. We were in Sylvan Lake, Alberta, just outside. So not really by a hospital. There was a clinic in 
Sylvan Lake, but we had to go to Red Deer and I tried to hop out of the vehicle. So yes, technically my fault, but my dad kept driving and we were on this gravel road, but like those sharp rocks gravel. And I was wearing a flip flops and he ran over my foot and it was painful, painful. And the thing I was most upset about, we were staying at a hotel in Red Deer and I couldn't go swimming because I had to sleep with a bag around my foot for weeks. Really? Yeah. And I still use it as ammunition today. I'll be like, Hey dad, remember that one time you drove over my foot? And scarred me for life. And he's like, remember that one time you threw that big party in our backyard and somebody spray painted 420 on the paved stones? Oh, no. So we go back and forth, you know? It's like a little <laughs> something to hold over his head, but he also has many things to hold over my head. Why did you have to wear a bag on your foot? Because it was bleeding. <laughs> oh. they, they couldn't actually stitch it up because they couldn't get all the gravel out. So they just sort of skin taped it. But then that tends to come open. Oh, man. It, did, was, it was a rough time, honestly. Yeah. Is there still <laughs> gravel? Probably. Inside I, your foot? I have a scar on my foot. There's, I'm, I'm a gravel girl. There's <laughs> gravel in my foot. <laughs> All right. We, so that's a, a solid weird injury. Also to this week, because the Jets were playing in Vegas, that which is known for its buffets. Mm. We, just, we mm. always said was, let's talk buffets. So what have you got for us on the subject of buffets? Did you go to Bonanza ever as a kid? Of course. Ban- oh, Bonanza. Think about that ice cream sundae buffet. Yep. It's like you were just powering through the ribs and the Caesar salad so you could get to the ice cream sundae if you were a kid at Bonanza. I would start at the ice cream. Your parents let you do that. No, my mom, well, my mom would get mad at us, my sister and I, because we would always try to start at the ice cream. And I think one time she just finally let us do it. Do you still go to buffets as an adult? Because I would love to go and nobody, no people in my life want to go to buffets. I'm like, I wish, I wish to go to a buffet. I would absolutely go to a buffet. Um, in terms of the Vegas buffets, I only went to one because I've been to Vegas three times and we tried on each of the first two trips to go to one, but the lineups were they're monstrous, so we just said forget it. And then we did finally end up at one on the third trip. It was at the Win, and it was uh, remarkable. But in terms of buffets here, yeah, like uh, you ever have you ever done the buffet at East India Company? No, but that sounds incredible. Yeah, it is. I just love the idea of unlimited food. It's a bit daunting. Like, will I be able to stop myself? No, you will roll me out of there. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to need to be carted out of there, but it's going to be so worth it. Stomach pumped and everything, but you know what? I had a great time. (laughs) Well, that's the thing with me for buffets now. When I was a teenager or a younger man, I could eat like just boatloads of food. Yes. But now when I go to a buffet, one of the things that we were discussing is I feel this stress because I have to make sure to pick and choose the correct items because I might only get one shot because typically one plate of food is enough for me now. And then if you don't get those items, you're leaving feeling sad about it. Yeah. I feel that way about all-inclusives. I've never been to an all-inclusive, but I just worry. Unleashing me on unlimited alcohol, that's a very (laughs) dangerous thing.